0: Hey, what's up, podcast? Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in again to another episode of Hospitality TV. We have a great episode lined up for you today with Karen McNeil that we did a few weeks back up in Napa. Before we move into that, I just wanted to remind everybody of why exactly we are even doing this in the first place, which is to speak with the top professionals in our industry of hospitality and be able to extract information from them that we can then pass on to you so that you can be better at what you do on a daily basis. The only thing that we ask in return is that you subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. It would mean the world to us. Hopefully you're following our content on our other social media channels as well, at Hospitality TV on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. But please, please, please go to the podcast, subscribe, and leave us a review. I'd love if you sent us some feedback on any of the podcasts, too, if you have any questions on anything, or if you think that there's somebody out there that we should go interview that you're interested in. Let us know. Let us know what you think. Thank you so much, and enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Hospitality TV. Today we're in Napa in Santa Helena with none other than the author of the Wine Bar- Bible, Ms. Karen McNeil. How are you today? I'm
1: well, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. Pleasure. Um, so is I need to start somewhere immediately by thanking you for this book. <laughs> I have to do this because um, it's been an absolute indispensable tool for me in my career as a sommelier and Learning about wine, um, and it's been really something that, you know, as we study for higher levels of certification and the court of Master sommeliers and things like this, and you can oftentimes get overwhelmed a bit with the amount of information, and it's been a source for me to come back to to kind of fall in love with wine again, and the whole reason why we fell into wine, like, we're feeling like we're traveling, and we're learning about other people's cultures, and um, and it's always been a source for me to be able to do that It's one of the few wine books that I can actually read at night in bed, (laughs) rather than a very academic book. Um, So thank you so much for this book. Even on the way over here, one of my sommeliers that I work with, she texted me, she said, make sure to give Karen a big hug for me for writing this book. So I'm sure you've heard this many times, but we're very, very appreciative of this. Thank you. Um, Would you please, if you can, just take a moment and tell us a little bit about how you got into journalism, how you got into wine writing and and leading up to the book?
1: Yeah. well, You know, it's it's interesting because I have no degree in journalism. I've never taken a writing class, and I have no degree in wine. Um, uh, although there isn't a sommelier in the country um, who doesn't know the wine bible right. and hasn't learned a lot from it, and I've taught over the years hundreds, maybe thousands of sommeliers. Um, but when I started, um, there there were no credentials in wine. I mean, people forget that the MS and the MW, it's not that they are brand new, I mean, they both started in the 1950s, but it wasn't until the 1990s that they began to be offered in the United States. And I started before that. Um, so in the beginning, in a sense, in the US anyway, everyone was self-taught. And for me, I started as a, a food writer. I was a very uh, successful food writer. I. Um, not initially, of course. Initially, I cre- uh, collected—I don't know—three hundred and well, I do know exactly three hundred and twenty-four rejection slips. But um, oh my
0: God, for what rejection slips for what?
1: For I was trying to write about everything in the very beginning, and and you uh, collected
0: each and every one of these. Yes, and I oh collected <laughs>
1: it. You know, it's hard to become a writer. It's hard to get published. Um, but eventually, I I got published in Food and. Um, uh, became, as I said, a pretty successful food writer. But I realized that what I really loved was the whole world of gastronomy, dining behavior, um, the invention of manners, beverages, everything, not just, you know, should you stir the risotto clockwise or counterclockwise. Mm-hmm. So Um, I began to try and uh, study wine, but wine was really hard to study back then because all the books were British, they were written, they were sort of straight out of um, the British school system in the 1950s, they were very dry, Um, and also the Brits uh, assumed a kind of familiarity with European... Geography that Americans just don't have. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to learn about wine in the early days, um, which I think is, in a certain sense, um, how I became such a good researcher. um, Because I had to, you know, I, I wanted to write the book that I had needed, and I wanted to write a book globally. It took eight years to do
0: that's amazing eight years for the first edition for to the come first out. edition wow.
1: and then four years for the second edition so, so I'm how, getting twice as fast
0: yeah there you go so how does that work when I mean you know I'm not I'm not familiar with publishing a book but I'm, you have a publisher that you're working with and how do you convince them to into an eight-year time span to release a book
1: yeah is well is that but, common
0: is it uncommon
1: yeah for the first wine Bible I'm the first edition um, Peter Workman who is the uh, head of workman publishing mm-hmm. Said, um, can you have it done in a year? And I said, of course I can, right? And when a year was over, it was certainly not done. <laughs> and I, you know, I said, Peter, it's just a, it's a bigger, bigger book than what you and I had originally talked about. And he said, oh, all right, all right, call me. You know, I'll see you in a year. And this went on for eight years. And towards <laughs> the end. He, we would go out to dinner um, to some nice restaurant and I would order the wine and he would say, just promise me you're not at home in your pajamas, right? There there really is a book. Some
0: work is getting done. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and I would say, no, no, there really is a book. but it's,
0: Did you think it would fail during that time? Or were you just...
1: I didn't think it would fail, but I didn't have any expectation that it would succeed. I mean, I knew it was...
0: Or not the book itself failing, but even just getting to the finish line oh. during this process.
1: Um, you know, to do something for, uh, it was actually uh, more than eight years, it was ten years, because it takes then the publisher two years to actually mm. do all the copy editing. and. Um, but I, you know, if you think about it in modern day life, how many people work on a project unpaid, unpaid for 10 years, right? So I, I knew I wouldn't stop because I'm a very determined person. Um, but by the end, I thought, you know, maybe I'll sell 25 copies. I, I certainly didn't think the Wine Bible would sell one million copies.
0: <laughs> That's amazing, congratulations. You. Who, did you have, who was one of the most influential people during that time of the creative process? that took up to ten years, or eight years. Um, was there anybody that really stood out that kept you going throughout that time?
1: You, you know, writing a book is very solitary, and it's um, it's something you have to do by yourself. You, can, I mean, I suppose there are books that are either ghost written or jointly written, mm-hmm. but very few. Um, it's a really solitary thing, so I would say, I mean, this sounds funny, but I would say, you know, my dog, cause I, you know, <laughs> because I, I couldn't really talk to anybody about it. I, right. I couldn't tell, um, people would, you know, they would listen for a few minutes, but you're so in your head, and you, you're carrying all this massive amount of information in your head, you know so every now and then I would get stuck or something and I would look down at my dog and say you know what do you think about chateauneuf du Pop or whatever <laughs> um, but uh, and and a dog is a perfect companion if you're a writer because it's solitary and they're they're kind of solitary and quiet right. too
0: no criticism no
1: criticism right <laughs> yeah exactly unconditional love
0: I love that um, so you know when you're reading the book there's um, there's like a timelessness about the book right you you get the sense right away that this is this is a classic in 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 wine books as they go, um, which is interesting. You know, for an industry where sometimes people who are selling the wine can get caught up in trends. Like people will gravitate towards the hot new wine region, or you know, a winemaking style like natural wines, or or even go the other route. They can even shun certain things. Like I may even hate to say it because we're here, but Napa Cabernet. You know, there's been many sommeliers who would probably gravitate somewhere else. Um, before grabbing a bottle of napa Cab, and i think what do you think is the the dangers of following or falling into these trends
1: yeah you know wine is by its very nature um it does not lend itself to trends very easily because um you know it takes four years before after you plant a vineyard to to get grapes, you, it probably takes two years to lay a vineyard out even before that, it's, then once you're aging the wine, you know, it's, it's kind of 10 years to market. So for winemakers anyway, there are no trends. They, they, they simply, agriculture can't, or in this case viticulture, can't move that fast. I think sommeliers sort of, you know, they get on a gerbil wheel and they fall in love with, you know, orange wines or uh, Petit Naturel wines or, I don't know, Uruguayan Tanat or mm-hmm. something. But that's more a, um, a voyage of discovery. Mm-hmm. And and for all of us, I mean, that is sort of the fun thing about uh, the world of wine is, is you keep discovering new places and new styles but for a book you know i had to give every wine region its its weight its its gravitas without any kind of preference and the truth is that as i was writing i would be in completely in love with that place while i was writing that chapter so it could be alsace you know this month and new zealand that month because you would just be so deeply uh, aware of the history and the culture and the people and the, the art and the religion and the philosophy. It's, it was impossible not to fall in love with every place as I would write about it.
0: Were you traveling to all these regions to be able to soak up that, you know, first-hand impression of the culture and whatnot?
1: Yeah. I've been to every wine region in the world, um, with the exception of just one or two of the more obscure ones. Oh
0: my God. But
1: um, uh, the second time, the second edition, which this is, Mm -hmm. I didn't go back to every single one of them, um, but I certainly retasted uh, enormous amounts of wine. So I am always going off because it, a lot of the side boxes are, are things that you can only get if you're there.
0: That's one of the m- most interesting things and one of the things I love most about the book. And I mean, for so many reasons, one is the personal take on, you know, the side take on the region and what type of foods they like to eat or what's something fun about the culture. But it's actually even the way it's formatted, it's just easy to get a quick little snippet of that whole chapter. Mm. Was there a region that really surprised you in a sense more than maybe you thought or something that really shook you when, when you got to that region?
1: Um, no, I mean, certain regions are very, certain places are pretty easy to write about and they reveal themselves to you. Some places reveal themselves, but they're hard to write about. I mean, I, I made the mistake in the second one of leaving Italy to the end, which is just Italy is, is, you know, I love Italy, but man, it is impossible. You just want to write Italy, a chapter, Italy, chaos. And now can we go to Germany or someplace that has rules that really, you know, is very organized? Um, I mean, people think Germany is hard. Germany is a breeze compared to Italy. Um, Because Italy, you know, it makes a bunch of rules that nobody pays attention to them and everybody has a different opinion and there's no consensus. It is, uh, it's really delightful and delicious chaos. So um, uh, I guess I would just say that what was, um, it wasn't so surprising as much as when you write a book like this, you don't necessarily write it from page one to page 1000. You you write it according to kind of inclination and what you know will be easy and what you know will be really hard. Mm-hmm. But but also I guess in the first one, uh, the first wine bible predated the internet. Uh, you, we forget right the internet. Right. Uh, so all of the research was done by phone or by traveling there or and fact checking by phone or by fax. Oh my God. We had probably a hundred feet of trans file boxes of faxes from some obscure little vineyard in Hungary, you know, um, saying that, yes, there were 27 hectares in this little vineyard. I mean, that's the hard thing. Today, with the internet, it's much easier to fact check ideas. Right. Um, But but that was a a journey in and of itself. So some of the more obscure, Places, especially places in the '90s that were just emerging, like Georgia or Hungary, were mm-hmm. very hard to research.
0: And you traveled to all those places, yeah. also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone from that area that really stood out for you?
1: You know, I uh, I haven't. Um, the one place I haven't gone that I would really love to go to that is I was so surprised by the wines. Um, was slovenia hmm. um slovenian wines are i i was just shocked when i started tasting them how delicious they are interesting so, yeah i
0: haven't had many slovenian wines yeah. so every one
1: yeah but you know it's that whole old austro-hungarian empire that whole hungary austria slovenia slovakia mm-hmm. czechoslovakia us uh, today czechoslovakia is very interesting um, uh, part of the world.
0: Yes, so in a in a podcast I heard of yours a while ago, I feel like there was a, a part where you were mentioning language is a big part to loving wine, right? And the way that you use language in the book is incredibly vivid and paints such a good picture of the wine. Um, and surprisingly, never sounds repetitive. <laughs> After covering so many different wines and regions, um, every description seems to be unique. Um, what do you think influenced you into that style of writing?
1: Well, it's not a style that exists out there, it's really my style. And I, um, you know, unlike a lot of people, I, um, I think I work as hard. At being a good writer, as I work at really knowing wine well, a lot of wine people are subject experts. They know a lot about wine, but they just write it down. They mm-hmm. they're they're not really, in my mind, writers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they're they're they communicate what they know, but they're not necessarily extraordinary writers, and it's hard to be an extraordinary writer. I mean, I would say that if I were able, I mean, if if the Wine Bible were all it was was research, I could do it in one-third the time. But what takes time is to, to do exactly what you're saying, to try and capture a wine in words that is just extraordinarily memorable and We all know how hard it is to describe wine, right? It's impossibly hard to do. It's so ephemeral. It's much easier to describe food, for example. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, when when I'm writing, that's the slowest part, is sitting there with a glass of wine and thinking, oh my God, how am I gonna put this into words? And it can take a while to, to get a glass of wine right.
0: Well, you do a really good job at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Karen, one of the things I mentioned in, or I noticed in the book was there aren't any mention of scores, really, or vintages for that matter. What is that?
1: Yeah, you know, um, there's a difference between um... being a writer and being a critic, right? And. If I was a critic, I, I would this table would be full of wine and every morning at 9 o'clock I would start tasting and give those wines a score, write a few sentences and, um, and attempt to be very comprehensive about tasting everything or at least everything important in a given place. Um, we do a lot of tasting. I mean, I taste about 3,000 wines a year um, oh here in the office, mm-hmm. but But what we're trying to capture is something different we're trying to capture you know what what makes bordeaux bordeaux right what makes it tick what why is it the place that it is how how are the wines in a sense a piece of evidence of the culture and so whether you're tasting uh you know a 2013 bordeaux or a 2014 bordeaux that essential Nugget does not change. Vintages, of course, do change, but I'm I'm at something. I'm trying to get at something a, a little more timeless than that. Mm-hmm. And also, we don't need more critics in a way. We we have a, there are a number of really good um, newsletters and magazines out there that do just a fantastic job at wine criticism. So um, you know, for me, I wanted to do something very different than that. So it when I review a wine in the wine Bible, um, what I've done is I've tasted it throughout lots of different vintages and I've described it in a way that has to do with the style of that of that wine kind of vintage in and vintage mm-hmm. out. I mean I suppose there's the possibility that in a really really terrible vintage the wine wouldn't be as good as I've described it but, I've only you know I've pretty much talked about all of the great wines of the world in the book not not necessarily everything that's on your store shelf that costs 15 dollars let's say
0: now so you say you're tasting to get really the identity of that region do you find or have you found that when you started doing your research in the early 90s to now is there is that identity changing from like global warming and the way that the wines are changing a little bit Or would you say it doesn't apply yet?
1: Um, uh, Climate change is a big factor. It's especially a big factor now. it will, um, you know, it will really inform um, the next wine bible. I'm starting to to work on um, wine bible edition number three. Oh, awesome! Just now, actually, this week. Uh, <laughs> no World way! Star, wow! Yeah, right. it'll probably take us. We're hoping two and a half years. So I'm getting every re- time you're
0: half in the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting really <laughs>
1: fast here. Um, but. Uh, One of the most amazing things about wine is how adaptive it is. I mean, when you think, and one of the best examples, or many of the best examples are in Portugal. Mm -hmm. When you taste southern Portugal whites, for example, um, you think, how can these wines possibly be, right? It's one of the hottest places in the world, and yet those, those white wines are fresh, they have a lot of acidity, when you talk to vintners there, you say, how, surely you're adding acid into these wines. they like, we're not adding acid. But these grapes have had centuries of adaptation, and they've learned how to sort of hold on to their acidity. So, um, you know, climate change will change some things, but plants are pretty adaptive. It'll be interesting to see um, whether or not... Um, you know, whether or not Pinot Noir will have to move to Alaska, I don't mm-hmm. know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I don't know.
0: So that's, thanks for sharing that about a third edition, that's exciting, yeah. um, but let me ask you this, how do you think, um, how do you think your approach to wine education has changed, if at all, between the first edition to the second edition and to maybe now getting ready to produce a third edition? especially with the digital media landscape that we're in now compared to when you started off and you didn't have that advantage? Um, how does that change the way that you want to deliver this information to people?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I knew, whether I n- knew it, I, I, I thought I knew it, and it's turned out to be a lucky hunch, I guess, or a lucky um, supposition that Wine is one of those things that is much better understood in small bites and through stories. Mm -hmm. When you write these long, grey, you know, 100 pages that are just uh, not interrupted by anything personal, it's really hard. Even Mm -hmm. if you love wine to death, like me, it's hard to read books like that. so um, you know, I developed uh, a way of of writing about wine that is—it's a little bit like cha- like dancing and changing the beat to the music all the time. So you're, people are like, "Oh, okay, we're changing here. All right, you know, <laughs> let me keep up." Um, and it's uh, people tell me all the time that the Wine Bible is so you know easy and fun to read mm-hmm. because of that. So that's the way, the, lucky for me, that is the way the world has also moved. We want great information, but we want it fast and we want it to be fascinating and fun. And actually, I mean, because of that, I created a, a, a whole digital newsletter
0: called yeah, WineSpeed. Wine Speed. Yeah, tell yeah. us about that, please.
1: Yeah, WineSpeed <laughs> is, is really cool. We, uh, we created it uh, about two years ago now. Okay. We have about 40,000 subscribers. It's free, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I realized that a lot of people were getting information, of course, digitally, either on their phone or on their computer. And um, there were wine blogs and stuff like that, but um, you know, occasionally I'd be like, what? That's wrong, wait, that's wrong. Where, where, who are all these people writing up the stuff that isn't even researched? It would drive me crazy, I'm, I don't know, a school mom at heart, I guess. <laughs> So um, I thought, I'm going to jump into this pool, too. I'm going to write something that really is well-researched and is authoritative, but it's going to be fast and fun. And so we created Wine Speed. And again, I I thought, oh, you know, 25 people will like it. But I want to do it anyway because I'm a creative person and I, I just wanted to do it. In part, I wanted to do it to see if I could do it. And um, so, you know, it's been nice that we have so many um, uh, subscribers and a lot of people, um, a lot of people who are either avid wine lovers or who are in the industry mm-hmm. and you know it has quizzes as you know yeah 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 no, they're super fun yeah winemakers mm-hmm. and sommeliers when they get the quiz wrong i mean they're like you're kidding i they will call me <laughs> i can't believe i got the quiz wrong <laughs> it's really fun
0: no it's great i love getting that and i think it's weekly right that comes out yeah, yeah it comes published. out every friday yeah and it's almost like the same formatting that you have from the wine bible right yeah. there's like little snippets here quick little um pieces of information or statistics that are super fun to look at yeah um Yeah, I mean, that's another one of the reasons I love it. You're very busy. You're very active. I love that, you know, starting off a third edition and doing the Wine Speed newsletter. But you also do, um, you also do like educational seminars or for larger companies. What what is that about? Do you do educators on wine or do you do like how to host wine dinners or things? Or what's the different approach there for, you know, larger companies versus somebody who actually has the book in their hands?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, a quite a big part of our business, we have a lot of a very multifaceted uh, office here in Napa Valley. And uh, much of what we do with events is, you know, big companies like Lexus, General Electric, excuse me, lots of top law firms, biotech firms, pharmaceutical firms hire us to uh, have me, put together an event for them. So often this will be, they're going to, um, who knows what, they're going to go to New York and have a big board meeting. And instead of just taking people out to dinner, I will do some kind of extraordinary uh, tasting seminar for them, and then everybody will go out to dinner also, and I'll choose all of the wines, work with the chef, and create great pairings. but those seminars are really fun to do because um, you know, these are sort of captains of industry. Mm-hmm. They're, they're often very powerful people. They're often, um, in the same room, there will be collectors and people who are um, very successful but know nothing about wine. So it's great if you are a teacher to have to, uh, you know, to be able to present wine in a way that the most knowledgeable and the least knowledgeable person in the room leaves saying, man, that was great. I learned something, yeah. you know. It's, it's uh, but I love teaching, and so um, uh, it's, it's really fun. And we, we do these kinds of events all over the, the world. Um, occasionally, restaurant groups have hired us to uh, train all of their, uh, their waiters. We have hotel clients. Um, and even university clients, Notre, yeah. Notre Dame University is a wonderful client of ours. So when
0: you do training for a restaurant group, you kind of have to assume that there's going to be, you know, kind of all of the front of the house staff, right? Where you might have some people who are a little bit more educated on wine. You might have even a couple of sommeliers. But you might have some support staff like, you know, back waiters or food runners or things like this who are very eager to learn. What's your approach there to make sure, again, that, the guy yeah. who has the most knowledge and the guy who has the least knowledge is, you know, walking away with something.
1: Yeah. It, it's hard to describe how I do this. But, um, you know, people who, the sommelier in the room is going to love it anyway because mm-hmm. they, because we all. They've already committed that, into it. Yeah, at it. that level, you, you love wine. Mm-hmm. And just hearing how someone else uh, approaches a wine can be fascinating in Definitely. and of itself the least knowledgeable person in the room is going to have eyes wide open like, wow, I didn't realize it worked like that. Oh, I see, these are the things I need to know, right? Um, but what makes good trainings great is that wine can be used to, to unify a staff. When people taste wine together in, in a kind of democratic way, it's, uh, it's very unifying, it's, it's fun. And it's, uh, there is no one in the room, including myself, who knows absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So it keeps all of us on our, our toes. And um, yeah, it's, it's great.
0: So Karen, lastly, is there any little snippets of the third edition that you can share with us without oh. giving away too much? <laughs> what can we expect that might be new in this new edition?
1: Well, we are um, yeah, we have a few surprises up our sleeve (laughs) that I I can't talk about yet. Um, We are going to make it um, uh, make a a very enhanced digital version of the Wine Bible as well. That will be um, great. You know, Asia is getting really big. Mm -hmm. The second edition has chapters on China and India and Japan, Mm -hmm. but. Asia is coming on very strong, there will be a time not in the not too distant future where we'll see uh, wines in particular I think from uh, China and Japan uh, here on our store shelves. Um, so um, yeah, well I don't want to quite reveal it yet, <laughs> okay, but it okay. will be different.
0: <laughs> well Karen, I can't thank you enough again, when anybody ever comes up to me and it happens a lot to ask me where do I start, I want to learn about wine. There's two things. Like The first thing out of my mouth is always the Wine Bible. The second is the Guild Psalm site for more of an academic kind of backup to fact check certain things. Um, so I can't thank you enough. Thank you once again for your time here. Um, thank you for joining us again, guys. And make sure to follow us on Hospitality TV or on Facebook and Instagram, at Hospitality TV. You need to go if you don't have it, go purchase the Wine Bible, second edition, and subscribe to Karen's newsletter, Wine Speed. It's amazing, you won't regret it. Thank you.